0: pray that God gives me uh, the ability here to continue using my voice along with yours to exalt his name. And, and now we have an opportunity, uh, not only were we able to sing of Christ and remember, offer him praise and to hear his word read and to bring praise to God, uh, but now we also have a privilege to look into his word in a little bit more depth to, to uh, study in a bit more detail the truths of God's Word. And for that, uh, we have been going through the Gospel of John, and, and we've made it into John chapter 4, and specifically verse 4 to 34. John 4, verse 43 uh, to 54, rather. So uh, let us once again hear God's Word read and ask for God's blessing on it this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, John 4, verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he believed him and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word that we have read, and we thank you for the truth that is contained therein, in how it reminds us of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. It reminds us that he indeed is the Messiah of the world who who came to live a perfect life on our behalf and to die in our place. It reminds us of how much you love the world and that Christ would come to do this. And he revealed himself time and time again, so that the people that he came to would see him and believe on him and and be saved, and that we would be able to read of their writings and how you inspired them to record these truths, so that we too might read and hear and believe and be saved. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to understand this passage in in a bit more detail, that you would help it, Father, to remind us of who we are in this world and what you have called us to, to remind us of the one in whom we trust and believe for salvation, and that ultimately we would know Christ more as a result of looking at this word as this official and his whole household ended up learning. We ask for your blessing now on your word. In Christ's name, amen. So last week in the verses uh, leading up to the verses we just read, we saw how Jesus began uh, what we noted was a cross-cultural expansion of the gospel uh, when he made his way into Samaria, you remember, and he sat by Jacob's well. And when he was sitting at that well, he met a Samaritan woman and he revealed himself to her as the Messiah. Uh, These weren't Jewish people. We talked about all of that history, so we won't go through it again. But this was was an area of Samaria that was outside of the, uh, the borders of Israel. And so she believed in him and then she went and called other Samaritans to come and see him. Many came and were saved as they stood, as they too believed in Jesus. And it's important to note, and you'll see this, that they believed on Jesus based on his word. Jesus didn't perform a a sign. He didn't perform miracles. He, He didn't do anything before the Samaritans other than sat by a well and told the Samaritan woman that I am the Messiah. Samaritan woman is saved. She goes to share with her friends in the city. Many more Samaritans come to see Jesus, and John tells us that they tell us um, that the woman, they said that we now believe not because of your testimony, but your testimony was totally confirmed, they say, by the words of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah based off his words. And we saw in verse 42, they say, This indeed, this is indeed the Savior of the world. And so it was good news that these Samaritans who received Jesus, who believed in his name, they were given the right to become children of God. The tragedy is that Jesus, as we saw in chapter 1, came to his own Israel, and his own people did not receive him. Remember, this was what John said at the beginning of his gospel. There are those who did, but there are those to whom Jesus came, namely his own people, Israel, and they did not receive him. And so the overall picture that John gives us in his gospel is of a hardened and unbelieving heart of the Jews who actively opposed Jesus. And one of the ways that he brings this out is in their constant infatuation with signs and wonders. So in contrast to the despised Samaritans, again, who believed on Jesus based on his word, the Jews were constantly looking for evidence that his claims to be the Messiah were true. They needed to see the works of Christ if they were going to believe. And even though they see them, John goes throughout his gospel, he notes that they still reject him. Uh, you can see this in John 2:18, John 5:36, John 6:30, John 10:25 to 26, John 11:45 to 48, John 12:36 to 43, etc. They see signs and wonders, they see it over and over and over again, and what they end up doing is over and over and over again they reject him. Even though they see signs and wonders from Jesus. And even the other gospels note this, and even the Apostle Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 1:22. He says, Greeks um, seek uh, power, I think it is, but the Jews seek signs and wonders. So while that's the overall picture given by John, um, in fact, look at John 12, 36 to 43. Let's just read this real quick. This is the overall picture that John is presenting here in um, John John 12:36 to 43. Um, after Jesus has the triumphal entry and he talks about him going to be lifted up on the cross to die, says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. That's all we'll read. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. There were some Jews who did believe. The disciples believed earlier when he was called. And in our passage this morning, there's another Jew, an official from Capernaum, who ends up believing in Jesus. But here's the thing about this official, and and the reason I'm telling you this background is because the passage we're looking at this morning has a very interesting statement at the very beginning that is a bit confusing, and so it's going to help you understand what Jesus is saying here. Um, This Capernaum official, he starts out like many of the other Jews, and what is he seeking? He's seeking a miracle from Jesus, right? He's seeking a miracle that Jesus would heal his son who was about to die, and in one sense, he believes that Jesus has the power to do it, but he's going to end up believing in Jesus for salvation. And he's not only going to receive healing for his son, but he's also, and his whole household, is going to believe in Christ as Messiah. And so what John is highlighting in John chapter 4 here is he's highlighting, of course, that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's also highlighting the unbelief of the Jews in this passage. And Why I say that is, if you look at verse 43 to 46, back in John chapter 4, John says that after the two days Jesus spent in Samaria, where he was sharing and telling them about the gospel, he's preaching to them the kingdom of God, it says he departed for Galilee, which is north of Samaria. Now, Galilee was the region where Jesus was born in Naz- in, or grew up in Nazareth, and it was where his current home, Capernaum, was located. So it's, it's now Jewish territory again, not Samaritan territory. So he goes from Judea through Jewish territory, through Samaria, not Jewish ter- territory, further up north to Galilee, Jewish territory. So this is important, right? Jewish, not Jewish, Jewish Okay, so so this Jewish territory, then, John gives us this parenthetical statement in verse 44, that Jesus went there even though he himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So what does Jesus mean by hometown? And why does Jesus point out, why does John point out that Jesus testified that a prophet has no honor there? That's what he says. Jesus went to Galilee for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. This word, term hometown, it can refer to homeland or hometown. And in this case, He's not referring to Nazareth or Capernaum, his hometown in youth or as an adult, which were both in Galilee, nor, and John will say in verse 45 that he was welcomed by the Galileans, so verse 45 kind of seems to exclude hometown as being Nazareth or Capernaum or even Galilee in general, right? In other words, why would, he, why would John say that he goes up... Um, into Galilee after two days, because he testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And then we read that the Galileans welcomed him. So, in other words, he—he, he, John is saying something um, different different here. Um, so, it could refer to Judea or maybe Jerusalem, right? because that's the homeland of Jesus' birth and his spiritual homeland, if you will, uh, where the Jewish religion was born. And so he could expect no honor there, so he goes to Galilee. But the problem with that is, like it, in saying that Jesus went to Galilee because he didn't receive honor in Judea and Jerusalem, that seems a little out of character for Jesus, Right. Jesus wouldn't wouldn't go and say, well, I'm not getting honor in Judea and Jerusalem, so therefore I'm going to go to Galilee. He doesn't go somewhere based on where he would be most honored, in other words. And so it seems to me that the reference to homeland is more likely of reference to Judea and Galilee together. In other words, Homeland refers to Jewish territory over and against Samaritan territory. Jewish soil, as D.A. Carson says, over and against Samaritan soil. Jesus' own country is not Galilee and Judea only, but it's Jewish turf. So that seems to fit with John's picture in this gospel of the rejection of Jesus by his own people. And so if that's the case, then John, when he says that he came to Galilee and the Galileans welcomed him, what he's actually saying is, in the immediate context, when he leaves Samaria and he goes back into Galilee, what he's saying is that as opposed to Samaria who met him with open hearts and believed in his word, it seems John is saying that the irony is that he goes back into his homeland among his own people, and the Galileans welcomed him, and they welcomed him not because of belief in him as the Messiah, as the Samaritans did, but they welcomed him because of the miracles he had performed there prior. They were infatuated with his miracles and not with him. So you kind of put this together, and I don't know, I didn't, I don't feel like I did the best job explaining it, but when you put it together, the verses make more sense. John is, being, is showing irony here. He says, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So, or therefore, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen what? all that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. So in other words, he went back to his homeland where the people continued to reject him. And the point is that the Galileans received Jesus because of the miracles and the signs that he did. Does that make sense? This was the basis for why they welcomed Jesus. They didn't welcome Jesus for who he was, but they welcomed Jesus for what he did. They loved his signs. They loved his miracles, but they did not love Jesus. Jesus wanted to gather them together under his wings as a, as a hen gathers her chicks, and they were unwilling to come to him. They kept looking at the signs and the miracle. And so then, lo and behold, we see this example of an official from Capernaum in Galilee who now hears that Jesus is back in Cana, In Galilee. And this official is probably serving in the house of Herod Antipas, who was Tetrarch in Galilee from 4 BC to 39. And he comes from Capernaum to Cana to see Jesus, a 16-mile journey. And he comes to Jesus because his son was deathly ill. And he wanted Jesus to heal him. And he heard about Jesus and he was in dire need, and he goes to him. And you can hardly fault him for that. He implores Jesus. Verse 47, asked is in the imperfect tense, which means he's repeatedly begging Jesus to come and see his son. He's desperate. He's pleading this man of status in Her- Herod Antipas' circle, A respected member of Herod's court is begging Jesus, a carpenter's son, to heal his son. And so Jesus sees his heart and says of all his own people, kind of this sweeping rebuke, he sees the official who comes to him, and in verse 40, he says, unless you, and the you there is plural, unless you all, you people, Unless you see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. So he's rebuking this official. Miracles, signs, and wonders. They had their place in identifying the Messiah, and they have their place in strengthening one's faith. When they couldn't fully trust his word, Jesus talks about that in John 14:11 but they were never intended to be the foundation of one's faith in him. And so for this official, it was a coming to Jesus based off his desire, as any parent would under great affliction, to come to someone who they think can help their child. And again, he says to Jesus, "'Sir, come down before my child dies.'" Why was all of this happening? Why did God permit this affliction of this man? And what is to be gained from these kinds of heartaches? We often wonder that, right? We have loved ones and family members, and they go through sickness and ailments and children, and they get sick, and we often think, why is it happening? Why does it happen to me? Why do I go through this affliction? Why is my loved one going through this affliction? This is what the guy's thinking. He's coming to Jesus. He doesn't know his son's about to die. I mean, really on his deathbed, he's really about to die. And the official is desperate. He doesn't know why, but he, he knows Jesus can do something, he thinks. And so he runs to Jesus, not knowing why. And none of us always know why. We don't always see what God is doing. We don't always see the purposes of the trials. But if we keep in mind that God desires for us to come to him, then we will come to understand that it is precisely through trials in this life and afflictions of our soul that God actually teaches us lessons that we would not have learned otherwise. God draws souls by afflictions away from sin and the world, which would have otherwise kept them in bondage and in sin. This is why God lets affliction take place in trials. He does so because he wants us to come to him and he wants us to receive salvation. These trials and temptations are given to us so that we look to him. J.C. Ryle put it like this. Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is greater. Prosperity and worldly comfort are what all naturally desire, but losses and crosses are far better for us for if they, if, if they lead us to Christ. Losses and crosses are far better for us if they lead us to Christ. This is why Psalm 119 verse 71 says, David says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And Job learned the same lesson, and the Apostle Paul learned the same lesson. And so for the purpose of bringing this man through this affliction to true saving faith in Jesus, to really correct his faulty thinking about the Messiah, his heart was obstructed to true faith, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. So he doesn't heal the man's son because the man had enough faith. Sometimes you'll heal, you'll hear Faith and health and wealth and gospel prosperity teachers teaching that you just need to have enough faith. And if you have enough faith, then God will do whatever it is you want them to do. It's not what happens here. This man comes to Jesus not believing in Jesus, hoping that Jesus could do something. Jesus knows he's not really believing him. Jesus knows he hasn't accepted him as the Messiah. Jesus knows the man is desperate. And in grace and mercy and kindness, in spite of the man's unbelief in Jesus, Jesus still heals the, the boy. And he says, go ahead, your son will live. And so initially the man hears this. He, he, he believes Jesus, okay, he believes the word of Jesus, but he still doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, He still does not come to Christ as Savior. And the Lord answers his request. He reaches out his omnipotent hand because the man came and what did he say to Jesus? He said, come with me, my boy is dying. And what he is saying is he thought Jesus needed to come with him to see his son so that Jesus then could heal his son. This is what the man thought, that Jesus can do something. Jesus must come with me to see my son. But what you find out is Jesus didn't even need to go see his son. Jesus didn't even need to touch his son. Jesus didn't even need to be in the presence of his son. Instead, Jesus, from right where he is, he says, your son will live. Jesus heals him all from 16 miles away. Jesus heals the son of this official and the official thought that Jesus must come to see his son before his son dies because he didn't even know that Jesus could have actually even risen his son from the dead. So this is a weak faith of this man. This is a man that doesn't really know Jesus. He just knows he's in need. And Jesus then reaches out his omnipotent hand from Cana to Capernaum and he heals this boy with the word. Now, the man doesn't know that yet. And he's going down now back to his home after Jesus said this. And as he's going back to his home, his servants met him and they told him that his son is recovered, that his son is better. The fever left him. And so As he's going down, no doubt he's thinking about Jesus and his words and his teaching. And so he asks them in verse 52, when did that happen? When did my son get better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, that's around one o'clock, they said the fever left him. At one o'clock, something happened where he was sick and he's dying And suddenly, gone. Fever left. They didn't know what happened. All they know is they were caring for this young boy, this young child who is dying, and all of a sudden, he's better. And so, the father knew that that was the exact moment when Jesus said to him, your son will live. Beloved, that should be a comfort for you and me. It should be a comfort for you and me to know that when Jesus makes a promise and Jesus speaks a word unto you and me, that it will come to pass. Every promise of mercy, every promise of grace and peace which our Lord speaks is just as certain as the healing of this man's son was. Jesus will hold to his word. You can be sure that when you read of God and his promises in the scripture of your salvation and of your coming glory and of your resurrection and of your forgiveness of sins, when you read of that based off of what Christ has done on the cross, when you read those truths from God's word and Jesus says it so in his word, you can know that you are standing upon a rock that will never be broken. You can know that if you have come to Christ and believed in him and confessed him with your mouth as Lord and Savior, that your soul is safe for all eternity. You will never die. You will never be cast out from his divine presence. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And just like he healed this son with his word, and the Father realizes what had happened, so it's true for you and me, beloved. Christ will keep his word. And so in the case of this official, he actually came to believe now in Jesus, not about his miracles, through this affliction. He had confirmed in his heart who Jesus is. As he sees the healing of his son, suddenly he realizes that Jesus is not just a miracle worker, but Jesus is the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus gave this man more than he ever asked for. He healed his son and he saved his entire family. That's why John says that after the man realized that the son was healed, at that very hour that Jesus said your son will live, says he himself believed and all his household. All that he had heard about Jesus now, about him being the Messiah, he was saved and believed on account of this second sign. A Jewish individual saved. Now, I'm going to close this morning just by saying this, to kind of try to bring it home to, to you and me, okay? The tragedy today is that many people are still affected, you might say, by the same hardness of heart that the Jewish people were affected with in Jesus' day and with the same heart of this Capernaum official. The tragedy today is that many people still desire to see signs and wonders from Jesus as proof. And then they claim that if they were to receive a sign, then they would what? then they would believe in Jesus. And the truth is this, is that even if God should overwhelm us and people with a huge mass of miracles, the truth is, is that people would still reject Jesus. You do realize that. People no matter how many miracles they see, that unless their heart is changed to see Jesus for who he really is, they will not believe. How do you know this? Well, I thought of it like this. How many times, I don't know if this is true in your life, but have you ever needed or wanted something in your life and you got down on your knees and you asked God to do this miraculous, marvelous thing for you. Not even a miracle. Just let's say something really just kind of an ordinary thing. Maybe to get a job or to meet a spouse or to have a child. And you pray and you pray And then when that prayer is answered, you don't give glory to God. You chalk it up to circumstances or to chance. Maybe you go and you thank your new boss for giving you a job, or you go and you thank the doctor who helped you to get pregnant to have a child. Or you thank your friend who introduced you to so-and-so that enabled you to get... Like, how often do we do that? How often does the world do that? God gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. And the world rejects, and rejects, and rejects, and rejects. And Jesus even tells them after he even raises Lazarus from the dead, and they wouldn't believe. They still didn't believe. And Jesus says, this wicked and perverse generation seeks for signs and wonders. And I tell you what, he says, even if someone raises from the dead, they will not believe. You see, it's not about signs and wonders and miracles that need to be done in order to believe in Jesus And it's not enough to believe in Jesus in the sense that you believe Jesus is powerful and he can do marvelous things. That is not saving faith. If all you believe about Jesus is that he is powerful to do the things that I ask him to do, that is not saving faith. People come to Jesus, many people come to Jesus because they think he will make their lives better. They come to Jesus because Jesus will give me structure in my life. They come to Jesus because Jesus will give me purpose in my life. They come to Jesus because they say Jesus will give me deliverance from this sin in my life. They come to Jesus because they say, Jesus will give me victory over my enemies in this life. They come to Jesus because they say, Jesus can give me healing. Or they come to Jesus because Jesus can give them an escape route out of whatever trial they're in. But they never come to Jesus because Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who can take away their sins who can forgive them of their sins and reconcile them to the God that they are at enmity with. They will come to Jesus for all kinds of things, but they won't come to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins because man doesn't want to let their sins go. And Jesus says, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you come to Jesus, you must come to him as the Messiah, not as a miracle worker. And here's the thing. Jesus performed signs and wonders So that you would not be enamored with them, that you would not be enamored with his power, but that you would come and be enamored with Jesus. This is what the Capernaum official needed to learn. And Jesus drew it out from him. And he moved from belief that Jesus can do miracles to belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus gave the world plenty of signs, didn't he? Proof upon proof, evidence upon evidence. But the one sign which Jesus gave that really should put the desire to rest for more signs and wonders and miracles is what? When Jesus died and rose again. Let me ask you a question. What more proof do you need? What, what is it you want? What more evidence do you need? What sign are you looking for from Jesus to say that he can do what he promises to do? Is is the healing of your loved one the sign that you need to place your faith in Jesus? Is that going to really answer the, the objections in your heart? You see, there is nothing else that Jesus can do that will ever outmatch the fact that he died. For three days he was buried in the grave. And after three days, it's not that someone came and rose him from the dead, is it? Did one of his disciples come and rise him from the dead? No. He rose himself from the dead. He resurrected his own body, and then he walked on the earth, and he talked with his disciples, and he ate with them, and he drank with them, and and he communed with them as he's living Again, and we, in our culture and society, we think we need more. We need more signs. We need more miracles. We need something more if we're going to believe in Jesus. And Jesus says to Thomas, in John chapter 20, verse 29, Thomas is like, I can't believe that you're here. And Jesus says to him, I want you to take your finger, Thomas. And I want you to feel that this is me. And Thomas feels the cuts and he he senses it and he feels Jesus. And, and, and Thomas then he looks at Jesus and he says, my God, my God, you are are here, you are risen, you are before me, my God. He says, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that indeed you are the son of God. And then you know what Jesus says to him? He says, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have what? Believed. You, beloved, who have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are blessed because you have come to the Messiah, you have come to Jesus, and you have believed Even though you have not seen him. And Jesus says, At that day, when I come back, I am coming back for you. And I'm going to take you home with me to be with me where I am. Can you believe his word? You believe his word. He healed that official son. He did it over and over again. And surely. If you are in Christ. You are forgiven. And you are saved. And you have an inheritance. That is kept in heaven for you. That will never perish. Spoil. Or fade. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the testimony that John gave us regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you you went to your own people and because of your kindness and love for them, you came again to them even when they rejected you over and over again and you came to show yourself to this Capernaum man to reveal the unbelief of his heart, to reveal that he only looked to you as a healer, as one who had power to do what he wanted done in the world to heal his son. But ultimately, you showed him such kindness that you even saved him. And he turned to you and he now believed in you as Messiah. And indeed, you have done that for us, Father we know that we are so single-minded on this world that we are so preoccupied with the things of this world with our needs with our hunger pains with our desires for money and for fame and for power and for glory and for friends and for entertainment father we are consumed i confess and i know each of us here confess we are consumed with the things of this world father And we so often ask you for things in this world and you graciously give them to us. But you don't give them to us so that our hearts would be knit here. But so that our hearts would be knit to you. And that we would become enamored with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that we would believe in him and not in all of these things that he gives. Lord, thank you for giving us faith to believe. Thank you for being with us in the midst of our afflictions and trials. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you, O God, even for the trials that you give us. Thank you that we are afflicted, Father, even though it is uncomfortable and painful We know that you give us these afflictions because you love us and because you want us to trust you. Thank you for caring for us as your children and chastening us when we need to be chastened. Because had you not done that for us, Father, had you not done that for this official from Capernaum, we never would have come to believe in you, Lord Jesus, as the Messiah. So, thank you for giving us life. Oh, Father, you are good and gracious, and we just offer you the praise in the name of our Savior. Amen. Well, I think a fitting hymn. Look at this. Andrew is not even here with us, but he picks such fitting hymns for us to sing. Uh, hymn 86.